0: Even before we get started, let me introduce you to my friend, Rebecca. Rebecca is a junior at Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and she has just returned from an experience that has become basically a part of every Jewish college student's life, virtually a rite of passage that happens somewhere between B'nai Mitzvah and marriage. I am talking about Taglit Birthright. From the Religion News Service, this is Martini Judaism for those who want to be shaken and stirred. And I'm your host, Rabbi Jeff Sulkin, Rabbi of Temple Israel in West Palm Beach, Florida. I have to say, when it comes to creating ties to Israel, Zionism, the Jewish people, maybe Judaism, we'll talk about that later. In fact, when it comes to informal Jewish education in general, there's no question about it. The greatest success of the past several decades has been... Birthright, an intensive 10-day educational program designed to connect Jewish young adults to their heritage through a highly subsidized trip to Israel. Birthright has been so successful, and that success has been so ubiquitous that you practically just have to say the name, Birthright. It's its own brand. It's like Coke or Toyota. Birthright is so famous that I have to tell you, this is... This is pretty funny. I can't believe I actually watched this, but I loved it. A number of years ago, there was a series called Broad City, and the two Jewish girls, Ilana and Abby, wind up on a plane going to Israel on a trip called Birthmark, in which everybody on the plane, every young Jewish man and woman, are all ready to simply hook up with each other and to get married. And actually, one couple is already engaged midair before they land in Israel. That's how famous Birthright is. So... Let's talk to Rebecca. Rebecca, welcome. It's good to have you here.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: So have you unpacked?
1: Um, yes. I literally just put away my suitcase today because I am going back to school tomorrow. So I just finished unpacking for birthright just to repack to go back to school. And this was after I was only home for about three days before I went on birthright. So I basically spent this entire winter break, just packing and unpacking and repacking.
0: Well, we'll talk about baggage in a little bit. Haha. Ha. Uh, so <laughs> tell us about the experience. Uh, did it live up to your expectations? What were your expectations? Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, it was definitely, it was like nothing else I could have imagined. I had, this is like my first real time out of the country. The last time I left the country was when I was 11 and I went to the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. So this was And we drove there so they didn't even like fly. So this was a very interesting experience from not just El Al, um, which is a whole experience on its own, to just um, getting to see the Holy Land and going to these famous places that have been storied about for thousands of years. It was truly a magical experience.
0: So what was uh, particularly meaningful on this trip? What did you do?
1: Um, I think what I've been telling everybody my favorite part was, was, uh, climbing Masada, which if you know me is, you're like, what are you talking about? But I think for me, it was like just being able to prove to myself that I was able to climb Masada and just hearing the story of it while I was up there. My tour guide was amazing. And, um, he had like these costumes for the other people in the group. And so we had someone like dress up as King Herod and that was, it was fun. It was really meaningful. And I'd say going to a spot, and talking all about Kabbalah. Those were like my favorite parts.
0: So I know it's kind of hard to predict this. And this is where Professor Len Sachs is going to come in and we're going to meet him pretty soon. Can you predict, and forget the fact that I'm a rabbi. Can you predict what kind of influence this trip will have on your future Jewish life?
1: Oh gosh, I I don't even know. I mean, I, I also work at Muhlenberg-Shalal as a student worker, so I would say that I was pretty involved with that sect of my life to begin with, but I would like always hear from like the Israel chair and the international students from Israel or just people that have been on other trips, just how magical it was going to be, like, you, like I heard from like my Israel fellow who actually was one of the leaders of the group, and just nothing can prepare you for what it was i think moments like what it really hit me was when i was just looked down at this street that we were walking on to see how worn down those cobblestones were from thousands of years of people just walking over them and just knowing that their feet had been where mine were i don't even know how it's going to impact me because it's just i'm still processing it <laughs>
0: Of course. And it's still very fresh. Let me ask you a harder question because we're going to drill down on this. Obviously, you are an aware young person. Obviously, you read the news, you listen to the news. What impacted the political situation in Israel, which is unfolding almost on an hourly basis, have on your experience here? Was it talked about? Did people on the trip talk about it? Any pushback, any tension?
1: Yeah. So I think we managed to stay, for the most part, relatively political free. Um, which, as a poli sci- or political science major, that was shocking. Especially if you know me, we really got to it when we were like in the major cities. And once our Israelis joined us, the time that it was the clearest on our trip was we went to uh, a program called Kuchinate, which is a program that has that supports Eritrean women refugees, and it's like an art studio and. We had a conversation about um, what it's like to be a refugee in Israel, especially an Eritrean, Ethiopian refugee. And the Israelis started having this whole conversation with a person who was the translator for the Eritrean uh, women. And it was just a lot of pushback. And all of us, we were all just, all of the students, all just looking at it like, Wait, what is happening? We don't understand because they're all like speaking Hebrew really, really fast. And we're like, um, this is a bit over our head. but they're talking about how there's so many different sides to immigration in Israel and how the school system works, especially for immigrants. And I think that was like the time we got the most political on our trip.
0: Interesting. How many students went on your trip?
1: We only had 33. It was relatively small. It was between, uh, um, Muhlenberg and Temple University in Philly.
0: Sounds great. What else do you want our listeners to hear about your trip?
1: Oh gosh, I don't even know. Um, just, it was a magical time. I, Hopefully, have created lifelong friends. I just it was some. It was really like nothing can prepare you if you've never been, and it was. I'll treasure it always, if nothing else, because I have. I bought a ring in spot that I now wear all the time, and I also I got some little coloring, uh, not coloring books, uh, little picture books for my little baby cousin, whose uh, dad, when he went to Israel when he was younger, bought me uh, books in Hebrew, and then I bought for his kids. And that was just a really full circle moment that made me kind of emotional that I was really happy to do. And I got to give them to them and they were very excited.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Very, very happy that you could do that. Okay. You're free to hang out if you'd like to, or if you got things to do, we understand, but I
1: got to go pack (laughs) and I got to go grocery shopping because I leave by this time tomorrow. So.
0: All right. Well, Rebecca, thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks. Shalom. Bye.
1: Shalom. Bye. (laughs)
0: That is the old Israeli pioneer song, Anubanu Arza. We have come to the land to build it and to be rebuilt by it. That was always the meaning of Zionism, that a people, the Jewish people, would come home to its ancestral land, reclaim it, rebuild it, and in the process be rebuilt by it. The people would be rebuilt, but not only the people itself, but the individual persons who make up the people. The idea of Israel and the land of Israel has the power to build each Jew. And so we're going to learn about birthright. We heard about it from Rebecca, and Rebecca's story has been multiplied many, many times. This gushing After the trip is over, that sense of expectation, the sense of exhilaration, some would say transformation, we're going to learn about birthright from one of its keenest and one of its most profound observers. Our guest is Professor Len Sachs. He's a social psychologist. He's the Klutznik Professor of Contemporary Jewish Studies, Director of the Cohen Center for Modern Jewish Studies and the Steinhardt Social Research Institute. At Brandeis University. Professor Sachs has written or edited nearly 400 publications. But most important for us, in 2008, he co-authored the book, 10 Days of Birthright Israel, A Journey in Young Adult Identity, which is the story of birthright Israel. Professor Sachs, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Salkin. Pleasure to be with you.
0: So let me ask you just a quick question. What would your elevator speech be for birthright?
2: My elevator speech is that birthright is an extraordinary experience for young adults who, coming from uh, the United States in particular, feel disconnected. It makes them feel connected to one another, makes them feel connected to the Jews of Israel and, more generally, to the people of Israel around the world. And in this day uh, where anime is so problematic, it gives them meaning.
0: You used a nice word right there, one of my favorite words of all time. In fact, I'm thinking about starting a rock group with that name, Anomi. Max Weber, as I learned in college, what does Anomi mean, and how do you get it?
2: Well, how you get it is easy. Uh, You just focus on yourself. You forget that you're part of something else, that you're part of something larger than yourself. You don't feel a connection or sense of responsibility towards others. And that's what our culture, unfortunately, has done. And birthright, aside from bringing people uh, to the land of Israel, to teaching them something about uh, history and politics, makes them feel connected to others.
0: You and I could have a really long conversation. In fact, let's schedule it for next summer at Tanglewood on the lawn, consuming a couple of Sam Adams, <laughs> about anomie and whether that is a growing problem in Western society. Quick answer?
2: Yes, the mental health issues that we've seen among young adults in particular during COVID is one indicator of how it's become a more and more serious problem.
0: So this is a very hefty charge now for Birthright. Not only do we have to inculcate our kids in a Jewish way of life and looking at the world through Jewish eyes, and we're now going to be healing anomie. So I'm down with that. How did Birthright get started?
2: Well, like the title of your uh, podcast, Martini Judaism, it's uh, a number of elements that got shaken and stirred together. The original idea came from a politician and close uh, confidant of Prime Minister Rabin Yossi Balin. It was given legs, it was given educational philosophy by some wonderful educators Professor Barry Khazan and Dr. Shimshon Shoshone, uh, an Israeli educator. And then it was given, if you will, fuel by two philanthropists, uh, Charles Bronfman and Michael Steinhardt, who made it happen. Uh, and it began in, in 1999.
0: You mentioned Yossi Balen. This is really interesting to me because... One of the criticisms that I keep on hearing from some of my friends about Birthright is that they feel, I don't know where they get this idea, and after the break we're going to have to talk about this, they feel that there's a sort of center-right cast to Birthright, that that's the shading, that's the flavor. But Yossi was a guy of the left,
2: wasn't he? Right, he he is a guy of the left, he was a guy of the left, and will be uh, for uh, forever. You know, his original idea was that Israel, uh, and the aspirin should stop thinking about Israel as uh, the home of their poor cousins, that Israel, he said it way before we had the term startup nation, was going to be this great intellectual and idea-generating power and was going to become wealthy uh, in the process, and that Israel could be the setting to educate Jews around the world. He wanted to have a jamboree for all 17-year-olds later got revised to a 10-day program for those 18 and uh, originally 20, uh, 26, 27. But that was his initial uh, idea, to give Jewish education to Jews around the world by bringing them together.
0: What was the initial problem that Birthright was responding to? Was it just anomie? Was it a lack of connection among young Jews to uh, Israel, the Jews?
2: Well, uh, for Steinhardt and Bronfman, who provided the funds to get it going, it was about Jewish continuity and the concern about intermarriage. The governing narrative of the 90s was the vanishing American Jew, that uh, non-Orthodox Jews were going to disappear because they were going to assimilate away. So this was a project to respond in a positive way to assimilation. And to do it with, uh, with young adults, uh, not to start in before Bar Bat Mitzvah, not to start in high school, but to start with young adults who could make their own decision about participating and how they would participate.
0: Starting with young adults. We'll be right back.
3: I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief.
1: I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, it was gonna have to be somebody like me.
3: Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app.
0: From the Religion News Service, this is Martini Judaism for those who want to be shaken and stirred. I'm your host, Rabbi Jeff Sulkin, Rabbi of Temple Israel in West Palm Beach. And with me is our guest, Professor Len Sachs, one of the most significant social scientists who has made it his mission to analyze American Jewish identity. Okay, Len, you're a social scientist. I read the study. Nearly 20% of American Jews ages 18 through 46 have participated in birthright Israel. That seems like a large number. So how do you rate birthright successes?
2: Well, it is a large number. It's a very significant number, and it has changed the face of American Jewry, that it has served primarily the millennial generation up to this point. And for a generation that was expected not to be involved in their Jewish identity, they're involved. And they're involved in some ways uh, more significantly than their parents and, in some cases, even their uh, their grandparents.
0: Well, we clearly see this, the the Hansen's Law effect, that the fourth generation wants to reclaim what the second and even the third generation might have forgotten. Have birthright graduates moved into – let's say, lay leadership positions in the American Jewish community?
2: Right now, given the age of most of them, most of them are uh, still in their 30s and even in their their late 20s, they're working in Jewish organizations, they're involved in Jewish organizations, but in part because they're millennials, they're not necessarily uh, joining and taking leadership roles in uh, traditional Jewish institutional framework. Millennials do it differently than older generations.
0: We need to talk about this. How does this look for millennials? In other words, one of the things I've always said, and certainly in the last decade or so of my career, is let's stop expecting 28-year-olds in the 21st century to behave like 58-year-olds in 1950.
2: (laughs) So what is it looking like? A a rabbi had this metaphor a few months ago. He said uh, something to the effect that years ago, when we watched television, there were three, maybe four networks. Today, there are 100 streaming services. And in the same way... Being involved in Jewish life no longer means just being a donor to your federation and a member of your synagogue. It means trying out different worship communities. It means being involved in smaller study groups. Uh, It involves uh, traveling to Israel. It involves lots of things that don't necessarily any longer require being part of one of the traditional institutions and in fact we have now not just dozens of institutions or organizations that you can be part of but literally hundreds of them if not thousands
0: has the jewish community been responsive and responsible enough in affirming the presence of those alternate ways of doing jewish because i'm finding this very interesting
2: um th- that's a hard one to uh, uh, to answer. Certainly there's been funding for Moisha House for one table for birthright Israel. so there have been lots of lots of projects have been undertaken. there's lots of initiative in individual uh, communities. has enough funding been provided? has enough support been provided? Has enough acknowledgement been provided of? The diverse ways in which people uh, engage in Jewish life, probably not. Not been enough acknowledgement of the diversity of the Jewish community. But hopefully we're moving in that direction. And hopefully the the millennial generation, the birthright generation, if you will, uh, will now be in a position to take leadership roles and be leaders in different ways than their parents and grandparents.
0: You know, Len, you and I are basically the same age. I think you're a little bit older than I am. I will have been a rabbi for 43 years, and if there is anything that defines the way my rabbinate has looked like, it is the way that American Jews and the American Jewish community, American Jewish leadership, and my colleagues have viewed the I word, which is intermarriage. And we know that the birthright trip is associated with a sizable increase in the chances of in-marriage, of Jews marrying Jews. That's, that's correct, Yes. That's correct. So I'm going to just drill down a little bit because I need to learn some more here. The goal of Jews marrying Jews, that stated goal in some corners of the non-Orthodox Jewish community has itself become controversial.
2: I I wouldn't frame it that way. I don't think the goal is for Jews to marry Jews. The goal is uh, for Jews to be engaged in Jewish life maybe may be easier to marry a, another Jew for that to happen, but that doesn't have to be uh, the goal. What's particularly interesting about uh, birthright is not just the finding about in-marriage, inter- in but the fact that uh, a third or so of the participants are the offspring of intermarried parents, or we'd like to say one Jewish parent, uh, families. And these individuals who prior to the birthright era, not attributed only to birthright, were unlikely to be as adults Jews and be involved in Jewish life. The extraordinary outcome of birthright is that these individuals, the product of uh, one Jewish parent uh, families, are engaging in Jewish life. They're engaging in a connection with and and nurturing their connection to the Jewish people, uh, both in their own countries, but as well Israel and around the world.
0: Are we seeing the metrics on this that would that would prove that? Because I'm finding that fascinating and really hopeful.
2: Absolutely. Uh, in fact, the effects of birth rate. We now look at them. Use fancy statistics to group people by the intensity, the, uh, the level of involvement that they had as children with religion, with Christianity, with Judaism, um, with nothing. And the biggest effects of birthright are on the people who had the least involvement with Jewish education, with Jewish life as children. The effects of birthright are significant for all of the groups, even for those who've had day school educations. It increases their level of uh, of connection and, and involvement, but the the size of the effects, the the delta as we call it, are even greater for those particular intermarried families who haven't had significant childhood Jewish education.
0: It's almost as if the, I'm going to just use a spatial metaphor now, and it's pretty inaccurate, and I don't want it to be offensive. It's almost as if the further away you were from the core, the greater the leap back towards it. That this affects people who have been separated from the mainstream Jewish community, even more, perhaps, than the effect it's had on people who are day school graduates, kids who go to synagogues, whatever.
2: That's a way to put it. Uh, I would say, in many cases, they come from families where even their Jewish parent wasn't very close to what you're calling the core, where their Jewish parent growing up in, called the John Lennon era of the 60s and the 70s, uh, the year... Yeah, imagine a world with no religion, uh, no borders, um, where universalism was uh, was celebrated and, and sung about. So that it's not like they, they're moving back towards something. They're moving to something that even their parents uh, uh, didn't have. It's also true, by the way, for uh, young Russian-speaking Jews who parents grew up uh, in Russia uh, at a time when they weren't allowed to get a Jewish education, and so on. Uh, And the effect on them is profound. It affects everybody, not just those who come with little uh, background.
0: Is Birthright facing any challenges at this particular time programmatically?
2: Uh, They're facing lots of challenges. I think... Teaching peoplehood uh, in a context, uh, both in Israel and America, when we are so fractured about political matters and there's so many different, different views out there and people seem unable to talk with one another effectively, uh, that, that, is, that is a challenge. They have a very practical challenge that costs birthright a lot more to bring people to Israel. Rebecca uh, mentioned that her group was only 33. Groups have been smaller because it's harder to plan around COVID, to keep people protected during COVID, and that's that's increased the expense. It's also that in this post-COVID era, training and having the quality of staff that birthright became uh, known for uh, is just more difficult, more costly to do. So they don't have as much money uh, or they can't bring as many people with the same amount of money as they could before, even as demand is increasing.
0: Has the response to birthright in any way been affected by political currents, even current political currents in Israel? So we
2: survey thousands and thousands of people, and we've been doing it on a consistent basis. We don't see a significant number of people who are saying, uh, I won't go on birthright because I don't like the government of of Israel. We also don't see people saying, I got to go on birthright because I can't stand the politics of America. (laughs) I come from a red state and uh, I want to go someplace else. So we're not seeing that. I'm Who who knows what the future will will hold, but that's not what's going on right now.
0: Have we seen any pushback on college campuses against uh, birthright recruiting from anti-Israel activists?
2: So the environment on some campuses, and it is some campuses, and I think what's going on gets exaggerated, if you will, amplified by, uh, by social media. There are issues, uh, birthright of late, uh, I haven't heard of of any specific issues involving recruitment for uh, for Israel. I think on those campuses where there are issues, issues about speakers, both pro and anti, issues about student government, et cetera. What it does do is it pushes people, uh, pushes the Jewish students to have conversations with one another to have conversations with with other students, college campuses should be a place where issues are debated. So the fact that these issues are debated is, from my perspective, not the central uh, not the central issue. That's actually good. People should be talking about these these things, and uh, students should have to or have some motivation or additional motivation to learn more about the situation, particularly in Israel.
0: Len, there's a word that we haven't used yet, and it's a word that uh, famously does not appear in the book of Esther, and that's the word God. And so the question I have is, the whole purpose of birthright is the strengthening of American Jewish identity. I could remain agnostic in its pure sense, meaning I don't know about what that identity is supposed to be. But what does it look like? Who are the American Jews that birthright was intended to create? And here's a hard one for you. You're a sociologist. You're not a theologian. I don't think you even play one on TV. Where does Judaism as a religious expression come into this?
2: You might ask, why is birthright 10 days? And the original reason that birthright was 10 days, a 10-day trip rather than a five-day trip or even a longer trip, was to ensure that people would have two weekends in Israel. One weekend where they could experience religious life in, in Israel. We'll call that the Jerusalem experience. Um, and one weekend in Tel Aviv or some other area where they could experience full Jewish life, but in a non-religious uh, religious way. The idea is to give people a balanced appreciation for what modern Jewish life is about. For me, Judaism, the central principle, is our connection to other Jews in the past, in the present, and in the future. It's out of that that our sense of responsibility, our willingness to feel a sense of commandedness comes from. And uh, from the earliest moments of of Judaism, for 3,500 years, we have debated what it means to be what Hashem, what the idea of God means, and what it means in our in our lives. That's part of what Judaism, at least for me, as a social scientist, not a theologian, uh, is about.
0: You're channeling Ruth, who says, "Amech." Ami, your people will be my people, ve'alohayich elohai, and your God will meet my God. So peoplehood comes first. We'll be right back.
3: I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. The State of Belief is a weekly podcast with a potent mix of spiritual wisdom, political strategy, and hopeful commentary in a series of inspiring conversations celebrating our diversity and bringing us together to, in the words of the great James Baldwin, achieve our country. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app.
0: We're back with Lynn Sachs. We're talking about birthright. We're talking about how transformative exciting amazing this experience has been for so many young people who are now not such young people anymore the effect this has had the impact this has had on the american jewish community the fact that in a short period of time many of our leaders in synagogues federations jewish communal organizations will be birthright graduates so i'm going to ask you a interesting question len have there been Imitations of birthright in other ethnic communities?
2: Very interesting question. In fact, there have. From Ireland to Africa to South Korea, Taiwan, to Greece, there have been a number of efforts to replicate birthright. No one's had the ability to do it on the scale that birthright has been able to do it. And part of birthright's power is the scale. I like to say Judaism is a contact sport. Uh, you need other Jews to play with you, to to engage in in Jewish life. And other countries have not had this opportunity, but they have done um, smaller programs, and uh, we're actually trying to track what what uh, what some of these are and what their impact has been.
0: It's an amazing experience, actually because this really does have everything to do with birthright. Len mentioned the African example. There's a young black woman named Mercedes Bent. That's really her name, Mercedes Bent. And when she was a freshman at Harvard, she attended a meeting of the Association of Black Harvard Women. And she really wanted a more intimate connection with her African heritage. And so she had a friend who was Jewish who told her about birthright. And so Mercedes went to Israel with some of her friends, and that trip forced her to break the Tenth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment is the commandment, Thou shalt not covet. She coveted. She coveted her friends' connection with their land, with their spiritual inheritance, and with their sense of identity. And so she decided to create a trip to West Africa for her black friends and classmates, and they learned how to cook traditional dishes, they attended traditional ceremonies, she had her hair braided, they learned about Nigerian history, they learned about investment opportunities in Nigeria, they attended Nigerian cultural festivals, and they even visited the castles that once held their ancestors, the castles from which captured slaves departed and never returned. And what's interesting to me, Len and everyone else, is that what moved Mercedes the most about her experience in West Africa was her ability to be herself, to not have to worry about racism, to not have to be on guard. It was her ability to be free, and that is one of the definitions of Zionism. To quote HaTikva, to be a free people in our land, to be free not only from oppression, but to be free to live creatively, openly, vitally, and responsibly as Jews to create a Judaism not of the past but of the future and I think that when we talk about anomie Len I think anomie begins that sense of ruthlessness begins with a sense of alienation and being cut off from your own community your local community your ethnic community your past and what we've discovered is that minority communities need and long that sense of self-esteem. And in fact, this rootedness even boosts the academic performance of young people in those communities. It's been true for black children, for Asian American children, Latino adolescents, for Native Americans. It's really a makor chaim. It really is a source of, of life. And Mercedes wrote in the New York Times – I would love to see a philanthropist or foundation fund educational trips to Ghana, Nigeria, and other African countries for black young adults from other parts of the diaspora. You see, the story about this West African birthright, as it were, trip, teaches us something that I think most Jews don't really understand. And I want to bring it home. For me, the most important thing— about the story of Mercedes and her trip. And what Len has been talking about and what Rebecca is alluding to is that, yes, we Jews have much to teach ourselves, but we also have much to teach the world, and we have influenced the world in ways that we could not have imagined, that just as Jews have longed for their land and their tradition, and just as we sense that our return to the land would mean a return to our tradition, well, Len talks about these quasi-birthright-like programs that have happened in Ireland and now, yes, among young African Americans. And I'll close with this statement from President Obama. He was reminiscing about a camp counselor he had when he was in sixth grade and the camp counselor was Jewish. And the camp counselor was telling the kids of whom young Barry Obama was one all about Israel and at that moment, President Obama understood the opportunity that exists, and here I quote, when people return to their land and excavate their best traditions and their best selves. What I love about Birthright, what I love about the work and the research that Len has done, what I love about what Rebecca experienced is that when we return to the land, we excavate our best traditions, and our best selves. This has been Rabbi Jeff Salkin of Temple Israel in West Palm Beach, Florida. And this has been Martini Judaism for those who want to be shaken and stirred, which is the podcast. And again, I am grateful to our friend, Professor Len Sachs. And I'm also really grateful that Rebecca could be with us as well.
2: Thank you, Rabbi Salkin. Uh, really an interesting and important discussion. Thank you.
0: I invite you all to follow my regular column of the same name, Martini Judaism, on Religion News Service, ReligionNews.com. It appears several times a week. I have no unpublished thoughts. Our producer is Jay Woodward. We get production assistance from Lance Roger Axt. Elsie Owen keeps the engine running smoothly. Martini Judaism is a Blue Jay Atlantic production for Religion News Service. We'll see you around. Shalom, everybody.